Good morning. It's a privilege to be able to gather together on the Lord's Day and celebrate Mother's Day with you. And really, when we celebrate Mother's Day, we are celebrating the opportunity to honor the one who brought us into this world. And so this relates to men, relates to women, it relates to boys, relates to girls. And if you never had a mother, I'd love to meet you afterwards. I'm just a tad bit curious about that whole thing. So I hope you've opened your Bibles to Ruth chapter 1, as the ladies, a mother-in-law and a daughter-in-law, have read to us, because this is the story of a mother-in-law and a daughter-in-law and their relationship to one another and to God. Let's look for our Lord in prayer. Minister to each heart here today because we come from various backgrounds, various experiences. But when we come into your presence, we come with one mindset. Warm these hearts of ours. Engage these minds of ours. Shape these wills of ours. Because again, Father, we've come here to see Jesus him only. We're praying these things again now in Jesus' name. Amen. Dale Hansen Bork, who graduated from the same college I did just a few years before me, though she probably doesn't want to be reminded of that, writes, standing on the sidewalk in front of our house, I waited impatiently for my son and his babysitter to return from their walk. They said they'd only be gone for a few minutes, I thought to myself. Chase's dinner was getting cold. Finally, I saw their two heads coming over the hill down the block, Chase wearing his bright red baseball hat, Doris with her dark curls. Hurry up, guys, I shouted, waving to get their attention. They waved back without increasing their pace. Remember, remember Doris's leg, I told myself, because it was easy to forget about her disability. And she cheerfully went about her work, sometimes joking about her wooden leg. When she wasn't much older than her son, Doris had been hit by a car, and the doctors in her native Peru had amputated her leg, and she'd grown up with an ill-fitting prosthesis that caused her to limp. And as Chase and Doris came closer, my restlessness changed to concern. Something is wrong. Chase was limping, too. Chase, are you all right? I shouted. Did you hurt yourself? My fears eased a bit as Chase let go of Doris's hand and ran to me as fast as his strong little legs could carry him. Mommy, Mommy, he said as he began to tell me all the news of his walk along the block. But I was too busy examining his leg to listen, you see, to his description of birds and leaves. Chase continued to reassure me that he felt fine. And as Doris caught up with him, I questioned her too. Oh, you mean you wonder why he was walking like that, she said, finally understanding the cause for my concern. He always walks that way with me, 
But why, I asked. So we can be alike, she said, trying to find the words in English to explain. The story we're looking at today is a story of women who are walking with a limp. They've been confronted with the realities of life, the difficulties of life, the challenges of life, and now we find a wearied sense of it all as they are starting to make their way slowly but surely towards the house of bread known as Bethlehem. Along that way, what you and I are going to find is an interesting Hebrew word that seems to leap out of these pages and explode with meaning before our very eyes. It's the Hebrew word hesed. Much like the beloved words in the New Testament, such as agape for love or tetelestai for it is finished, hesed is a Hebrew word from your Old Testament, and, and commentators stumble over one another trying to translate it accurately. Loving kindness, gracious devotion, various ways of expressing the thought as they try to get to the intent of the writer. What we want to do is to limp along with these women this morning on this Mother's Day. And as they make this soldier, and what we want to do is to look at three significant tests that are found in these verses that I think relate to where you and I might be at in life's journey. Let them teach us. Let them educate us. And let them allow for us to embrace how it is to work itself into the relationships that God has given us within extended family gatherings. Three Hesed tests come to our minds here. And the first flows out of verse 1 down through verse 5, and, well, we're going to phrase it something like this along these terms. That number one, let's provide loyal devotion, what we'll call Hesed, of course, even, number one, when family life is tested by challenging circumstances. Even when life, family life, is tested by challenging circumstances. Did you notice the opening phrasing? It was in the days when the judges ruled. Do you remember how the last verse of the book of Judges was phrased. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Now, if you are a mother this morning and you're struggling, how do I raise godly children in this climate that we now find ourselves confronted with spiritually? Bear in mind the moral relativism that was characteristic of that day in which in which Naomi had been raising her sons. It was the days when the judges ruled. Now what's interesting is that you and I are also informed in verse 1 that there was a, a famine in the land. And if you and I were to spend a lot of time in Torah, in the opening books of your Older Testament, you would find that in particular in relationship to the land of Palestine, the soil that eventually Jesus Christ would walk, that God had said that when his people rebelled against him, 
among other means of disciplinary measures, would be to bring famine upon that land. Now, the land was an agricultural society, which means then that you and I are facing, in this opening verse, a tremendous challenge to the family itself. How are we going to put food on the table? How are we going to provide for basic needs? Are we going to enlist these days, or are we going to escape these days? Questions being posed. Well, there's a man, you and I, are informed of Bethlehem and Judah, and we don't want to miss the irony of that word, Bethlehem, because it means literally house of bread which tells us then that there is no bread in the house of bread. Now, will this man, along with the other people in that region, submit to the lordship of Yahweh, God? Or will they find some way, somehow, to be able to, in their mindset, do God's will their way? Which is always a dangerous route to take. Well, here's a man of the house of bread, and we know where that will lead us in your Newer Testament. And you and I are informed that he went to sojourn in the country of Moab. You're still in verse 1. He and his wife and his two sons. Now, if you had spent time in prior books in your Older Testament, we spent two years years and years ago in the book of Genesis in this congregation. In fact, Dorinda used to tease me about that. You would find that in Genesis chapter 19, that there was a man named Lot who entered into an incestuous relationship with his daughter, and they produced a son by the name of Moab, from which come the Moabites. But what captures our attention, and which many commentators, for some unusual reason, do not seem to expound upon, in Deuteronomy chapter 23, Moses informed the Israelites, listen carefully now, no Ammonite or Moabite may enter the assembly of the Lord. Why? Listen. Even to the tenth generation, none of them may enter the assembly of the Lord forever because they did not meet you with bread. On with water, on the way, when you came out of Egypt. They are leaving the house of bread to enter into the land of Moab that would not provide their forefathers' bread. Furthermore, if you had been spending time in the book of Judges and you got into chapter 2 and into chapter 3, you would find that the Moabites, in essence, were a terrorist nation at this point in relationship to the Israelites. So now, this sets the stage for the sort of setting in which Elimelech, Naomi, and their family are going to seek refuge and resource in their time of need yet we don't see them seeking God. They're seeking Moab. Have you come up with an alternative to God in your life? Who's your Moab? 
Well, in verse 2, what's interesting is that we're informed that the name of the man was Elimelech. Literally, God is king. If you draw a line back to the last verse in Judges, you would find in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. So what we are being informed of implicitly at this point is that Elimelech is, in essence, taking sovereign control of the family, diminishing the idea of the sovereignty of God and his rule over the family, you see. He's not being true to his name. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife was Naomi, which means literally pleasant. Names of the two sons, Malan, Kilian, they were Ephrathites from Bethlehem and Judah. It's brought there again for emphasis. And they went into the country of Moab and remained there. Now notice the phrasing of the verbs in verse 2. They sojourned. Then they went. Then they remained. You have this sense, this growing sense of becoming comfortable in a setting outside of God's will, it is a dangerous thing to become comfortable in a setting outside of God's will. When we're looking for alternative resources than God himself. In verse 3, we're informed that Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died. She was left with her two sons. In verse 4, we're informed, these took Moabite wives. Imagine how this plays out in Israel. If they were to find out now that this family not only left the people that were willing to enlist the difficult times for the sake of serving God, but watch this family go elsewhere to seek a substitute for God as the resource of life. And now the children marry Moabite women who are part of the extended gathering of people who have attacked Israel in prior times. They lived there about ten years. And then you and I are informed that both Malon and Kilion died. And that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Which tells us now that there are three Jewish graves in a hostile land. And Naomi's family now is composed of herself and Israelite and two Moabite daughters. Years ago, when the opera singer Beverly Sills had her first child, the child was born deaf. would never hear his mother sing, to hear her incredible voice. Beverly Sills was Jewish. One parent came from the Ukraine, the other from Romania. They settled in Brooklyn, highly Jewish area in our nation, eventually would move to Cleveland, Ohio. They would have a second child, and 
this child would come into this world mentally undeveloped, disabled. And so now, with two children and the trials of life mounting, she took a full year off from her, from her professional work musically to care for her daughter and her son, trying to come to terms with these difficult, difficult issues when the press wanted an interview and asked, how do you cope? And in particular, what questions do you find yourself grappling with? She responded, the first question is, why me? But then it changes to, why them? And the questions you ask in the midst of the trials of life make a complete difference in your attitude toward life, toward family, toward God. What are you asking, Naomi? As you, Orpah, and Ruth now ponder what has occurred at the grave sites of these ones you've loved in this land known as Moab? Should we have ever left? How did we get here? And what should we do now in light of this current situation we find ourselves in? Ever ask significant questions in the midst of the trials of life? What this teaches us, number one, is that we are to provide loyal devotion, hesed, you see, even when family life is tested by, tested by challenging circumstances. What are yours? What losses have you experienced in the course of these days? And is your relationship with Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, does that gain outweigh your losses? There's a second test that unfolds, beginning in verse 6 down through verse 18. The number two, let's provide loyal devotion, what the Hebrew word hesed offers us. Even when family life is tested by difficult choices, Got some decisions you got to make? How's Orpah going to respond to this now? How's Ruth going to respond to this now in the face of loss? And how will Naomi respond to life situations? Remember, it's not so much what life does to you. It's what life reveals about you that matters most. And we can't confuse life with God. Life is harsh. God is good. In verse 6, she arose with her daughters-in-law. Don't miss that. Remember, when you marry, you marry not only a spouse, you marry into a family. You're raising children, remind them of that fact too. You not only marry a spouse, you marry into a family. 
And there are all kinds of factors and dynamics that intersect with one another now as you begin to process the various relationships that unfold before you, attitudes toward one another, experiences in the past that you may not necessarily have shared with others, but bring into the current relational dynamics that you encounter when you marry into a family. She arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab. How will they be treated? And how will Israelites respond to grieving Moabite women who are making their way back with Naomi? Notice we are told here the reason why they're returning. She had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. It doesn't simply read that she had heard that there was food. The word for God here, Lord, Yahweh in the Hebrew, was the covenantal relational name for God. In other words, there was some kind of evangelistic movement whereby even in the land of Moab, and they're positioned about 50 miles away in what is now known as modern-day Jordan, the word has gotten out that the Lord is at work even out in the fields. Don't miss the irony of that because they're still concerned with food. They're out in the fields. The Lord has visited his people and given them food. So what do they do? They've got some decisions to make here. These Moabite women are saying to themselves, well, we're out of the foods here. We've got food, but Naomi wants to go that way where the Lord has visited with food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law. The emphasis of daughters-in-law keeps reappearing in these verses. And they went on the way. It's almost as if they're walking now with the limp of loss. And they're sojourning together. On the way to return to the land of Judah. Now, remember that one of the great evangelistic statements in your Old Testament is found in Genesis chapter 12. I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Here is now Naomi's opportunity to be able to explain what it means for the Lord, Yahweh, to truly visit people. That's grace, sovereign grace. But notice what she says. She has the chance to be a blessing to the nations, including Moab. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go return, each of you, to her mother's house. And may the Lord hesed with you, literally. Deal kindly with you, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices 
typical Middle Eastern fashion, wept. This was her initial appeal. Notice the initial response. They've got some decisions to make here. They said, they, plural, no, we will return with you to your people. But do you feel the distance here? It is your people. But Naomi said, turn back my daughters. Now, isn't that interesting? She does not say daughters-in-law. Now, do you feel the, the intensity of the relationships? Because they're going to have to make a decision. She now almost views them like daughters. It's difficult to make tough decisions in the midst of relational matters. Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? What's interesting here is that, and we don't have time this morning to explore it, but God in his grace had introduced through Moses' teachings the idea of the kinsman redeemer, where when a husband passes away, another family member steps in to be able to provide for for the grieving ones who remain. Kinsman redeemer, willing to pay a price for the sake of providing for another. Our ultimate kinsman redeemer is Jesus, who comes from the house of bread. Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night, should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, it's exceedingly bitter for to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Naomi, as you're meant to be a blessing to the nations, including Moab, Look carefully as to how you are speaking of the Lord, where at the same time these women had heard in the fields of Moab about the Lord visiting the people of Israel again in his sovereign grace. In verse 14, they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law. But Ruth clung to her. Now, Orpah and Ruth have more in common with each other than with Naomi, don't they? Generationally and ethnically. But one of them has something that supersedes that which is ethnic and that which is generational. And it's the spiritual dynamic of a relationship with God through, in this case, the Messiah who's to come. Three times the appeal is made from the lips of Naomi until finally Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. You feel the tension of decision-making here. Now, what difficult choices do you have to make in your own personal life right now in the midst of the relational matters? that have made life pretty complex at this point in your life journey. 
You got some loved ones to limp along with you? Moms need that, you know. In verse 15, she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Park on that for a minute. That is not prescriptive. That is descriptive. In essence, what Ruth is saying pertaining to Orpah is that she still is in allegiance to the gods of Moab. Chemosh was one of the gods in which child sacrifice was the norm in that land. That's what Ruth is coming out of. She's got a spiritual background far different from Naomi's. How will God transform her? And how will Naomi represent God to her? She's being matter-of-fact here about Orpah. She's gone back to her people and to her gods. And then she says, astoundingly, return after your sister-in-law when Ruth then barges in. And this is magnificent. Because this is one of the classic statements of Hesed in the entire Bible. Mark it slowly and clearly. Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Listen to this Moabite speak. Your people shall be my people. And your God, my God. Grace broke in. Has grace broken into your life? Notice the incredible geographical tension in verse 17. Where you die, I will die. Even though that grave site of her husband's is in the land of Moab. And even though her kin, her relationships, her all those people that she is connected with are in the land of Moab. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord, she is using the covenantal relational name for God here, Lord Yahweh. She's talking about her own relationship to God. She knows grace. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw this, she was determined to go with her, and she said no more, for which we're thankful. Because what we see here now is the challenge of decision-making when it comes to the journey of life you find yourself on. You find yourself being pulled in a different direction than that which you should go. You've got relationships that are holding you back from pursuing God with, with wholeheartedness. If you allowed yourself to become entangled with people that keep you from being where once you were and you long to get back to where you were spiritually, 
What decisions do you have to make? There then is a third Hesed test unfolding before your very eyes in 19 through 22. And thirdly, let's provide loyal devotion, Hesed, even when family life is tested by uncertain acceptance. How will Naomi be accepted after she left and they stayed? How will Ruth be accepted as a Moabite? going into that setting without social security and any other means to be able to provide outside the fact that she believes in Yahweh, the Lord, who will provide. You pick it up in verse 19, and the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them, and the women said, Was this Naomi? She said to them, Do not call me Naomi. She's, she's hurting. She's limping. Call me Mara. For the Almighty, she doesn't use Lord at this point, has dealt very bitterly with me. Back to the Lord. You feel the tension here? I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Uh, Naomi, reality check. I thought you went away empty when you left Bethlehem. There was no... There was no bread in the cupboards. And Naomi, you have come back with Ruth. And now Ruth is standing there listening in on this. Her first exposure to conversation in the place known as Bethlehem. What's she processing? Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? But again, this is descriptive, not prescriptive. You might have read it to your children. Skin horse had lived longer than any of the others. He was so old that his brown coat was bald in patches and showed the seams underneath. And most of the hairs in his tail had been pulled out to string bead necklaces. He was wise, for he had seen a long succession of mechanical toys arrive to boast and swag and by and by break their main springs and pass away. He knew that they were only toys. It would never turn into anything else. For the stories in the nursery are wonderful, and only those playthings that are old and wise and experienced like skin horse understand all about it. What is Rio? asked Rabbit one day when they were lying side by side near the nursery fender before Nana came to the tidy, tidy the room. Does it mean having things that buzz inside of you and stick out handle types? Being real isn't how you are made, said Skin Horse. Real is a thing that happens to you. When a child loves you for a long, long time, not just to play with, but really loves you, then you become real. Does it hurt? asked Rabbit. Sometimes, said Skin Horse, for he was always truthful. When you are real, you don't mind being hurt. 
Does it happen all at once, like being wound up, he asked, or bit by bit? It doesn't happen all at once, said Skin Horse. You become. It takes a long time. That's why it doesn't often happen to people who break easily, who have sharp edges, who have to be carefully kept. Generally, by the time you are real, most of your hair has been loved off, and your eyes drop out, and you get loose in the joints and very shabby. But these things don't matter at all. Because once you're real, you can't be ugly. You can't. Except to people who don't understand. Been getting real? Naomi's dealing with reality. So is Ruth. And so is God. Because in verse 22, we're informed, Naomi returned, and Ruth, she can't get away from this description, can she? Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab. But here comes some hope. And they came to Bethlehem, the house of bread, at the beginning of barley harvest. And you draw a line back to the very first verse and connect the last with the first where they left Bethlehem because there was no bread in the cupboard. And now they've come to Bethlehem, the house of bread, and there is bread in the cupboard. And now we find that Matthew, that great Jewish writer, would pen these thoughts regarding the Jewish heritage in Matthew 1, verse 5, and Sam and the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth. And Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king. And King David had some Moabite in his blood. And Jesus was of the line of David. And one day, that one from the house of bread would stand before people and say, I am the bread of life. And whoever comes to me shall not hunger, And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. While Limelech knew that Moses had said, Don't go there, because they did not meet you with bread and with water on the way when you came out of Egypt. But you come to Jesus, and he provides the bread, and he provides the life. Do you know, Mr. Lord? your Savior. And so Dale looks out, and these two people are walking. They're limping. And I question her, too. Oh, you mean you wonder why he was walking like that, she said, finally understanding the cause for my concern? He always walks that way with me. But why? I asked regarding my son. So we can be alike, she said. 
trying to find the words in English to explain. It's his way of showing loving kindness. Hesed. Let's stand together. And Father, for the one who's left bread behind, bring him back. Bring him back, Father, to the true resource of life itself, Jesus Christ. Bring him back to that first love. Some of us are limping now in this life journey. But the beauty of this incredible congregation is that there are a whole lot of people that want to limp together with one another. We're committed to it. We embrace Hesed. So, Father, on this Mother's Day, we remind ourselves it's the Lord's Day. So we thank you for the one who died for our sins, that one who came from Bethlehem to go to Calvary so that we might have relationship to you through him. Bring Hesed now to each heart here, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.